Sorry, I had to duck out and not be here for the fellowship. So I apologize for that. Um, pressing matters of state. <laughs> we won't tell you what state, though. <laughs> state of frustration. <clears throat> um, but uh, uh, as I uh, said this uh, morning, um, just kind of um, a very simple thought uh, as I was reading and um, started thinking about a couple of things. Um, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 51. <clears throat> And, uh, <clears throat> you know, the Bible says in Psalms chapter 1, talking about the blessed man, um, it, it, it talks about his meditation uh, is in the law of God day and night. Um, and as part of uh, the Christian walk and the Christian life, uh, meditation becomes a a primary, uh, a primary importance. Um, you know, a lot of people don't quite understand what it is, and uh, you know, one of these days I'll, I'll go through it and I'll talk about it. But this isn't really a message about meditation. It's just kind of, if you will, just uh, a primer to, to to what I was thinking about. That you know, when you go through the Word of God and you read something, and sometimes there's a phrase, a word, um, a verse, a person. Uh, a principle that uh, that stands out. You read it and you go, oh. And then you, your mind starts thinking about it. And I'll, I'll say this. Here, here comes the important part about this. When that happens and occurs, that should be a cue for us to just stop, maybe write it down for a moment, finish what, what it is you're reading. But to stop and think about that later on. Um, and that's basically what meditation is. Meditation is the, is the putting something in a, a, in a state of contemplation, um, to think about its end, its purpose, its being, its, um, uh, uh, its, uh, its, its productivity, everything that it does. And, uh, I, I want to show you a little bit about this and, and, and kind of how that works. And, and, and this is a good subject to think about. In Isaiah chapter 51, it says in verse 1, it says, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. So, you know, this, this, this is, this, because we know who Isaiah is, and a, and a prophet specifically for the nation of Israel, I will tell you this, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, um, implications with that saying there that this is not just about Israel. It says, look under the rock, whence ye are hewn, in the hole of the pit whence you are digged. He says, look unto Abraham, your father, and unto Sarah that bare you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. He, he, he is a bit calling here, if you will, some contemplation, some meditation. In verse 3, though, it says, For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving 
and the voice of melody. I got thinking about that for a second, and I got thinking about the two things that he points out. He points out Eden and the garden of the Lord. And I got contemplating that and thinking about it and meditating on God's garden. And he has a, he has a few of them that he mentions in Scripture, and I want us to see them. I want us to, to, to go through them. We're going to go through just four of them, take a look at them, and, and, and see some patterns here. And, and, and to stop and think about what a garden really is. So let's go to Genesis 2. Let's talk about the first one. Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> we have man being created. <clears throat> And it says in verse 8, and it says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So we obviously very clearly see God had created a garden, and this was the dwelling place, the original dwelling place of man, in the garden of God. I want you to keep that thought. Jump down here to uh, verse uh, 15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So he obviously has some very specific things he's supposed to do, uh, dressing it and keeping it. And, and, and again, those are, if you will, the first um, directives of how God wanted man to behave on earth. And again, we're talking about uh, putting things in its specific place and making sure that it maintains that. And, and again, we're, we're in perfection here. So he's, he's guarding it. He's keeping it. He's protecting it. At the same time, he's making sure that it's pleasing unto the Lord. So that's what we see here in verse 15. And when we get down to chapter 3, we obviously know there's the fall of man, and we get to verse 8. In Genesis 3, 8, and it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Now this is interesting, and there's a lot to be said about this, uh, that the very first response that they have uh, after sin to uh, the word of God, if you will. It says here his voice was what was walking, which again is very interesting when you start personifying voice and words. But again, John takes care of that for us and explains it. But what we find here is we find that their response was to hide, to hide from the word of God, to hide from conviction. But, but what we find is that this was the garden. They're, they're hiding in the tree, amongst the trees of the garden. And here's God walking in the garden. So we, we understand this is, this is the first garden. This is, this is, this is where it all started. And I want us to keep that thought in mind. And let's go over to another passage. Let's go over to Genesis chapter 13 now. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 13. In Genesis chapter 13, uh, we have a bit of a problem. Uh, Lot's shepherds and Abraham's shepherds are not getting along. Um, or I should say herdsmen. Uh, and they're, they're, they're having some difficulty. And um, we get to verse 8, and Abraham said, excuse me, Abram said unto Lot, 
Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we are brethren. He is not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, Abraham was being very, you know, accommodating here at this point in time in order to to avoid strife, he's basically preferring Lot saying, you choose, you choose. And in verse 10, it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain of Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, when thou comest unto Zor. This is an interesting thing. Here he is talking about a place that, uh, and he mentions before it was destroyed, it was as the garden of the Lord. So keep that thought in mind. Keep that thought in mind. Let's take a look at another passage in the school of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31. <clears throat> you know, one of the, the greatest things that God has given us is the ability of cognitive thought. I don't think we really truly understand how important that is. <laughs> uh, being able to, to think things through and being able to use our God-given brain for something else uh, other than a placeholder is, is important. Um, God desires us to think, and you know from one of my favorite passages in Romans 12 that that's uh, the case. He has a specific way he wants us to think. So as we're thinking along this line, we're, we're, we're obviously thinking about gardens here. And in chapter 31, in verse 12, it says, Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord, for wheat, and for wine, and for oil, and for the young of the flock, and of the herd, and their soul shall be as a watered garden, and they shall not sorrow any more at all. This is obviously a prophecy. This is a big prophecy. This matches up with some of the things that we see over in the book of Revelation in chapter 21. But, uh, and, and, and this is again something where, where, you know, people don't quite understand what's going to happen in the, uh, the, uh, the beyond the millennial kingdom into eternity. And God's giving us a preview here of what this is like. And he's talking about how they're watered, that all their provision comes from God. And it's a watered garden. One thing I know about plants is if you don't give them water, they die. Uh, I'm, but regardless of that, in the Stewart household, we just murder plants. You know, we, it comes to the point of sometimes we're even murdering cactus, things that you think would be easy to take care of. No, not for us. You know, we're, we're plant murderers. Um, <clears throat> yeah, she did. She did. She did a good job. Uh, it was on its way out though. It was on its way out. <clears throat> we did find it didn't have a DNR, but we went ahead and, you know, um, <laughs> revived it anyways. <laughs> so the other plants, they're like, no, don't even try. Don't even try. <clears throat> it, it's difficult for us. We're just, we're not that kind of people. But uh, here, here he is. He's talking about a water garden. And um, when, when, when I was younger, I remember going to gardens in Portland. Uh, before Portland is what Portland is today. 
And, you know, there's the Japanese gardens and there was the whole, um, arboretum areas and just, just beautiful stuff, beautiful things out there. Um, and, uh, I remember just thinking of, uh, of Portland as, as kind of a garden spot. Cause you remember, you know, we came from Boise and then went to Spokane and then from Spokane, we went to Portland and we're like, Oh, this place is nice. Um, and, uh, it, it, it is a lot different, a lot more green. And just remember, you know, the, the smell of, of, uh, of, uh, the, the plants and the flowers in the air, if you will. Because we came at that exact time of year where things were beginning to bloom in spring. And uh, I just remember that. And I remember as we were driving up, it was a typical Portland spring day. And it was raining. It was wet. But that didn't dampen, if you will, our spirits it just, it, or anything of that nature. It just it just reminded me of, the, you know, it reminds me now, I should say, of, of, of a watered garden. Of what it was like. I want us to turn to one final garden and go over to the book of John, John chapter 18. <clears throat> John chapter 18, and um, <clears throat> this, is a, this is a garden that is uh, frequently mentioned in the Gospels. John chapter 18, in verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kedron, uh, where, um, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. This is where he's going to be betrayed. And Jesus Christ was betrayed in that garden. And he frequented this garden as you read in other parts of scripture. He frequented this area. It was a favorite of his. He enjoyed it. He loved it. And I begin to notice something with that and thinking about this and just, if you will, starting to connect some of the dots. God loves gardens, doesn't he? God loves to see life. God loves to see things grow. Uh, that's why there are certain things that are going on in this country today that, if you will, abort growth, that uh, I, I, it, it grieves God at his heart. It grieves him. And here's God looking at us as trees and talking about vines and fruit and Everything of that nature, and uh, God likes gardens. Jesus Christ liked gardens. Go over to chapter nineteen. Chapter nineteen, and and uh, and here he was betrayed in a garden. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know if you ever noticed this, but in chapter nineteen and in verse uh, verse forty one, after um, he had been crucified and had uh, given up the ghost. In verse 38, it says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. And he came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there also came Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then uh, took they the body of Jesus, and they wound it in linen clothes with spices, and the manner of the Jews is to bury now, in the place where he was crucified, Golgotha, Calvary, there was a garden. How many of us thought that maybe they had to take him away a bit of a distance? Or did we even not even think about that? That garden was right there at the cross. And in the garden... A new sepulcher. 
wherein was never a man laid. There's his tomb. There he is, and if you will, betrayed in a garden and crucified in one too. And how many times have we thought, and we sit there and think about that, that, that day when he was crucified, and we think about the darkness, and we think about probably a barren earth there, and, uh, you know, just, just, you know, we portray it in our minds because of the images that we've seen. But right there, there was a garden. Right by the cross. He died looking at something that he loved. That's interesting. Turn to chapter 20. Chapter 20. And here we have Mary who has come and she's weeping. And um, the, the, the angels ask her in verse 13, uh, Woman, why weepest thou? And she said unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She said, supposing him to be the gardener. It's interesting. It's the same garden that we just saw over there in chapter 19. Right there by the cross. She thought he was the gardener. Did you ever piece those things together? This is, this is why meditation sometimes is so important. To just stop and think about this for a minute. Now I want you to take those gardens that we just talked about. The one in Genesis. The one that was mentioned. That the plain of Jordan looked like over there in Genesis 13. Uh, the one, the watered garden that is talking about things of eternity, and the one that Jesus loved to frequent where he died in the book of John. And I want you to think about some things about gardens. What was the common theme between all these gardens? They were gods. He was present there. And when we think about this for, for, for a moment, we realize that the garden of God is where the presence of the Lord is. And as I said this morning, it's something that we, we should really love. Gardens are beautiful things. I love them. I just don't go around them much because generally everything in there wants to kill me. But they're beautiful to look at. You ever go up and see the lavender and the, the tulips? In woodland, you know, they, they like to kind of be, if, if you will, a little proud about that up there. Have you ever gone to the ones that are further north up there? Uh, where's that place, Mount Vernon? Yes, Say again. Yeah, yeah, that area. Yeah, uh, no, uh, yeah, it's way, way further north. And um, I tell you, you go to that place. Woodland's got nothing on it. You drive by it on the uh, on I five during that season, and you'll almost wreck your car. You just see tulip field after tulip field, it's tulip field and tulip field and tulip field and tulip field. And then when you think you're done, there's more tulip fields and more tulip fields and more tulip fields. You, you can tulip yourself to death out there. 
And, and it's just, it's a beautiful sight to see. It's a beautiful sight to see. And, and when we think about gardens of that nature and, and we realize that gardens are, are, are some important things that God likes to relate some of his, his attributes to and where he can be found. Um, I'll tell you this, there, there's a couple of things that we should note about the gardens. First and foremost, obviously that, that, that God's there. His presence is there. And if God's there and his presence is there, there's four things that we can see. In the very first part, in the very first one in Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, the one thing that I see there with the dressing and the keeping of it is God had an order. Gardens are orderly, aren't they? They're put together in a certain way. They group flowers together. There's a whole design concept behind them. People putting them, you know, putting certain moss down and certain rocks and maybe they put in a koi pond or whatever it is and so on and so forth. But they put a design into it. There's an order to it. And when there's an order and there's something put together in such a way, just like he was talking about in Genesis chapter 13, there's a beauty behind it. In the presence of God, you're going to find order for your life. His will. And you're going to find the beauty of the Savior. You're going to find the beauty of God. We look at it in the Pacific Northwest. We're spoiled. We're spoiled. Trust me, I grew up in Boise. We're spoiled. You go over to Boise, and like I said, one year we decided, because we didn't have enough money for a Christmas tree, that we grabbed the tumbleweed that was blowing across the road. Put lights on it and everything, and then realized that was a bit of a fire hazard. (laughs) So we put it on, we looked at it, dressed it up, put a couple ornaments on it, and then quickly took it all down and threw it outside. <clears throat> you know, it was, it was that dry, all right? <laughs> and that, and that was in winter. That was in winter. And, uh, I, you know, you come over here, you, you don't see tumbleweeds like that. You see leaves, a lot of them, and pine needles everywhere. You see a lot of greenery. And see the beauty behind it. Everybody that comes to the Pacific Northwest loves it. Um, there was a pastor that was up there at um, Faith Baptist Church that I preached a conference with, Dewey Stewart. Um, and he came over and he just was raving about how beautiful it was. And he comes from uh, a, a nice place, I would think, in New York. But he comes over here and he just looks at it and he says, it's so beautiful. And he, he, he likes to and he wants to come back and He's like, this is, this is a vacation spot. He likes it. He likes it. Why? Because he sees the beauty of it. And this isn't even organized and ordered as God would. So the second thing that we see, we see first where there's order in it in Genesis chapter 2. We see there's beauty in it in Genesis chapter 13. In Jeremiah chapter 31, we saw the provision that was given of God and we saw growth. You realize in eternity that it's, that's just growth. It's, it, it, I mean, it's going to always be there. Growth. Think about that. There's going to be people multiplying on the face of the earth without death. We've already got liberals, you know, just crying out that we're overcrowded right now as it is. Could you just imagine an eternity of growth where nobody ever dies? 
I always like to talk about what Pastor Blue always did, his mentality. He would say, this is just a theory, this is just a theory. He's like, you ever wonder why man wants to go to other planets? <laughs> Maybe at some point, you know, gotta, gotta put some, gotta put them all somewhere. If they keep multiplying. But it's interesting to think about. I'm not gonna preach that as gospel, it's just an interesting opinion. But uh, I do know this, that there's eternal growth. You go over there and you find the tree of life again in that city, New Jerusalem. His bride, as he calls it. And then what do you wind up seeing? You see that it leaves are for the healing of the nations. Growth. That's what that's necessary. You, you, you go through a surgery. You got to go through healing, Right. And what's needed for healing, you need, you need things for growth. Repair the damage. Put things back together the way they're supposed to be, in theory. Um, but, you know, just imagine that. All the sin and everything that's ever been done, and now you've got a tree that just provides growth for eternity. In the garden of God, you're always going to find growth. The fourth thing that I want us to understand is that uh, as you... Think about Jesus Christ being crucified. There's rest. It's not always what we attribute to right there to to that passage, but I will tell you this, it's an important thing to think about. It's where they laid his body. Broken, beaten, bruised, bloodied. Placed in a tomb. To rest. And it's amazing to think about it, how God calls, you know, our death in this life sleep. Uh, we're not soul sleeping. To be, pre- to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Praise God for that. But our body's going to take a little bit of a breather. But this is something that I just noticed about gardens of God. When I was reading that over there in Isaiah, and I just was like, you know what, I just want to see something. And it became very apparent that there are four things. There's order, there's beauty, there's growth, and there's rest in the Garden of God. And in the Garden of God, you're in His presence. I take a look at all of this, and, and it just poses a question to meditate on. Are we in the garden of God in our life? Yeah, ask a Jehovah's Witness and they say we're in the millennial kingdom right now. No, we are not. Not even close. Not even close. I can't even imagine what this earth is going to look like during the millennial reign. And I can't even imagine what the new heaven and the new earth is going to look like without any reference or acknowledgement of sin. But that's the garden of God. That garden shows up again. That tree shows up again. And why is that? It's because that's where God is. Every single day of our life, we should always striving to be walking with the voice of the Lord in the garden. In the garden. And I kind of relate it sometimes to God's will. You're going to find order in God's will. You're going to find beauty in God's will. You're going to find growth in God's will. And you're going to find rest in God's will. 
because that's who he is. And this is a simple study. I mean, this is just, this is, this is nothing. There's, there's, I'm not trying to bring any type of conviction. I'm not trying to bring anything other than for us to just take a pause and say, Hey, we were just sat down and thought about some of the things of God. Think, think about the, the connections. Think about how God talks about things. Thinks about how, think about how God uses typology to communicate sometimes us and himself. And it's very important to sit down and think and meditate that way. Like I said, it's not a, it's not a long message. Uh, it's not something that uh, is, is, if you will, of any great doctrinal significance. We're not talking about, you know, going through the book of Daniel here. What we're talking about, though, is we're talking about the presence of God. It's just something that I thought about, something that I thought, well, you know, really can't make a big sermon out of it, but I sure can just show you some simple things about what it's like to think about God, what it's like to think about Him. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time. And Lord, I thank you again for what you put in your word. And Lord, we know that every word is preserved and every word is precious. Lord, I pray that we would focus. We'd think on these things. Think on little phrases like the garden of the Lord, the garden of God. That Lord, it would draw us nearer to you. We see your hand and your work and your grace and everything, especially in our day-to-day lives. Lord, I thank you again for the day that you've given us. Thank you again for uh, the fellowship and the food that we had. Lord, I just pray that as we leave here this uh, afternoon, that, Lord, we just leave encouraged, that we would leave here, Lord, just knowing how great a God you are, that we leave here just understanding how, how expansive your love is in our life. And, Lord, that we just have that desire, that desire for you to be near you every single hour of every single day. I thank you again for all that you've done for us. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.